Today's reading is Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what will be different for you about 2016? What will be different about 2016 for you? Now, obviously, there's all kinds of, of things that you can't predict or control that might be different for you as you look back on 2016. It might be like your own health. You might have, end up having a health problem this year, or a family member might have a health problem. It might be that you might lose a job or have to experience a relocation, or you might have some kind of a financial setback. Or it could be something like, uh, like having a car that's totaled or something like that that you have to replace, and it's a major financial issue for you. Or it could be something as simple as, as having to replace a major appliance or losing your glasses and needing to replace those. There's all kinds of possibilities from the traumatic to the mundane that can happen to us that we can't predict and we can't control. But here's my question to you. What will be different about 2016 in the way that you choose to live your life? In the way that you choose to live your life? You see, the reality is, is that Life comes to us as a gift, and none of us knows how many days that, that we'll have on this earth. Moses says in Psalm 90 that we might have 70 days, and if by reason of strength we might have 70 days, 70 years, hopefully it's more than 70 days, 70 years. Nobody even said anything, you know, it's like, oh yeah, Moses said 70 days, yeah. A little Bible test there. 70 years, and if by reason of strength, 80 years. So you could, you could do the math to see where you are on that timeline. For me, I'm past the halfway mark. And 2015 just consumed another 365 days off that timeline. We have one life to live. And we have no idea how long that life is going to be. So if life is a gift, how do we treat it as one? What choices will you make to live differently in the next 365 days? And let me get very specific. What if... What if by the end of 2016, that's 348 days from now, you could look back on your life and see tangible ways in which you have gifted others with life? Would that be interesting? Would that be compelling to you? That you could look back on your life 348 days from now and see tangible ways in which you had gifted others with life. I had an email exchange with someone this week who's newer to Grace, and 
and newer to this whole Christian experience and what it means to know Jesus and follow Jesus. And this person made a comment in response to the sermon that I gave last week. And this person said to me that their impression of Christians up to this point was that Christians are people who hoard life and then judge others who don't have it. I was like, whoa, that is so perceptive. Christians are people who hoard life. Because this person has found out that that's exactly what this is about. It's about life. It's about stepping into life. It's about receiving life. And so this person's perception of Christians is that they hoard life. And it's meant to be given away. I thought that was so fascinating. Because if life is a gift, it makes sense to pass it on. And so would that be interesting or compelling to you to be able to look back on your life and see tangible ways in which you had given life to others in this year? And it's more than simply self-identifying as a Christian, kind of like you might check male or female on some kind of a form and then just go on living life like everyone else trying to make ends meet, trying to get the kids to the next practice, trying to manage a busy schedule. That's the way that most people live. Does being a Christian change any of that? So what might that look like? Well, today and in the weeks to come, I want to try to unpack a practice that I've begun to try to step into. And it's a practice that I have found to be very compelling it's uh, freeing. It's something that, to me, has been personally exciting. And it's the practice of blessing. It's the practice of blessing. So beginning today and the weeks to come, my focus is going to be on a life that blesses others. How do we step into a life that blesses others? To be very intentional about blessing others. So today I want to just begin with the question, what is a blessing? What is a blessing? Okay, and that's the question I want to tackle today. What is a blessing? Now, we have some experience with this because we use the word in our culture. Someone sneezes and we say what? Bless you or God bless you, right? I love that photo. But think about it. What is that all about? What is that all about? about? And then I got to thinking about it. Several of my kids can go out and they can look at the sun and it can trigger a sneeze. So if you go out and you purposely trigger a sneeze by looking at the sun, does that deserve a God bless you? I mean, you're making it happen, so do you get a blessing from that? And then as I did more research, I found out that that is a a genetic predisposition, which I didn't know that before. The reflex that causes people to sneeze when looking at the sun is called autosomal dominant compelling helioophthalmic outburst syndrome. (laughs) Simply abbreviated, achoo. Now, if you think I'm lying, I'm not lying. I am not pulling your leg on that one, all right? I didn't believe it at first either, and I, it's true. You guys are all now going on Google and going like, I'm going to check that out. (laughs) My wife, my wife complains about the velocity and the volume of my sneeze. She says that my sneezing hurts her ears. She actually says that, and so... And as I thought about her with her, her protest of my sneezing, she's working in the children's ministry, so she doesn't get to appreciate this. I thought, it's not as bad as that. 
And then there was another piece that I found. A man's 174 mile per hour sneeze blows his wife hair off. <laughs> it's not as bad as that, honey. Could be worse. So as I did research this whole business of sneezing and God bless you, the practice actually can be dated back to 77 AD, actually. They have writings that talk about the blessing. And it has many explanations, but one of them is the belief that when you sneezed, part of your soul was released and the devil could snatch it. And so that's why this, this God bless you began to develop, was it a, a way of protecting your soul. Obviously today we basically say it as part of manners, like we, we exchange manners in our culture, like if someone waves at us, we wave back. So it's something that we basically just learn. But there's many other places in which we encounter blessing. We might say a blessing at a meal, but what is that? I mean, what happens to your food if you don't say that? What deserves a blessing? Does fast food deserve a blessing? Does just a home-cooked meal deserve a blessing? I mean, you know, it's, it's just, you think about it, it's kind of crazy. Instead of saying goodbye, we might say, God bless. You might ask someone, how's it going? And they might say, I'm blessed. You might, uh, so if a friend, a, a young man might uh, go, he might be telling his buddies that I'm going to go ask my girlfriend to marry me. And they may say to him, well, did you get her father's blessing? So you see, blessing has a wide range of usage and it has a wide range of meaning. And so a precise definition for blessing is not necessarily obvious just by the way that we use it in our culture. So what I want to do this morning is just to simply lay a biblical foundation to help us understand what it is so that we might better know how to begin to step into the practice of it. So that's what I want to do today is just to kind of lay that foundation. And I want to begin with the Old Testament. So if you have a Bible, I'd like to invite you to turn to Genesis. There's one underneath your seat, a blue one, and uh, turn to Genesis chapter 1. I want to start with the Old Testament understanding of blessing. The, the, the word for blessing, the Hebrew word for blessing is Barak. Uh, you know anybody by that name, but that's where it comes from. It's used 330 times in the Old Testament. So it's a word that is very prevalent in the Old Testament. And it first appears in Genesis 1, 21 to 23, where God is blessing his creation. So it appears as a divine action. It's repeated on the sixth and seventh days in chapter 1, verse 28, and God blessed them. And then again in chapter 2, verse 3, it says, so God blessed the seventh day. So he blesses time. So the first thing that we can say about this as we look at blessing is that blessing is God's to give. It's something that God gives as we look at the Old Testament. But blessing is then directed toward humanity. Look at chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So you see, for the first time, he begins to direct blessing toward humanity. What we can say about this is that this is what we were created for. This is what we were created for. The Bible doesn't begin with sin. The Bible does not begin with sin. It begins with blessing. After God creates humanity in his image, before he ever gives them a command to be culture makers, he blesses them. He blesses them. 
Again, the Bible story does not begin with sin. It does not begin with God's curse. It doesn't begin with judgment, but it begins with blessing. That's so important to see here. It begins with blessing. It's a story of blessing. We were made in the image of God to live in the blessing of God. We were made in the image of God to live in the blessing of God. And the blessing of humanity is then repeated in the Noah story in chapter 9, verse 1. And then over, turn over to chapter 12, if you would please, of Genesis. And you see this then in the story of Abraham. A probably familiar story if you've um, been in scripture before. In the calling of Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 and 2. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So the first time, for the first time here in the calling of Abraham, in the Abraham story, a human being, a creature, becomes a blessing to others. So up to this point, God has blessed what he has made and God has been the one who has done it. But now he gives to Abraham this calling to mediate God's own blessing. That's what I talked about last week in the sermon, that there's this, there's this dynamic of transfer that you see in Scripture all the time. This transfer of a blessing, the transfer of what God is doing has now been given to human beings to do, namely to be a conduit of God's blessing. So you see, God didn't choose God didn't choose Abraham and the people of Israel out of all the nations simply to rescue them from their personal sins so they could go to heaven when they die. And yet that's 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 the message I've heard for most of my life being taught from the Bible, that that's what this message is about. But you read the Bible and you find out that's not what it's about. He chooses them to bless them so they in turn can release blessing to others. It's possible, according to what we're seeing here, it's possible for a creature, a human being, to be a blessing to others. It's not just God, the creator, who, is, who blesses, but it's now possible for a human being, a creature of God's, to be a blessing to others. In other words, to be an instrument of God's creative life-giving, in Abraham's case, to the nations. So what is a blessing? What can we say so far? Well, blessing occurs in the context of God creating purposefully. It is God's to give. It's good, meaning that its purpose is fulfilled, because whenever God says that something is good in the the creation narrative, it's that his purpose is finding its fulfillment. What he made it to do, it does. And it leads to fruitfulness and multiplication. So that's what we can say so far. So here's my working definition. Blessing is life created by God and is from God. It's life that gives life and extends life. Okay? Blessing is life created by God and is from God. It's life that gives life and extends life. And that makes sense of the traditional Jewish blessing, which is to life. When they bless, they use a phrase that says, to life. Because that captures what it means to bless. It's to extend life. It's to give life to others. But moving further along in the Old Testament, you see the blessing is also about seeing God's intentions. God's will become our experience. 
Turn over to Deuteronomy 27, if you would, please. Deuteronomy 27 in your Bibles, if you have your Bible open, still open. That's um, page 168-169 in the Blue Bibles. Moses is preparing Israel to occupy the land that is promised to them. In chapter 27, verse 1, Now Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, saying, Keep the whole commandment that I command you today. And so Moses commands Israel to keep God's commands in order that they might be blessed and not cursed. And what you see in chapter 28, if you look down at your Bible, you'll see a heading there that wasn't found in the original, but it's put in there. And it says, Blessings for Obedience. And then my text, which is ESV, says... Um, in the second part of 28, curses for disobedience. So you have blessings and curses. And he says, you need to keep God's commands to be blessed and not cursed. So what's in this blessing? Uh, take your eye down to chapter 28 and look at verses 2 to 6. Well, let's go ahead and read verse 1. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. Now, now pay attention to what's coming next. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall you be, shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your barns and in all that you undertake, and he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, does that surprise you a little bit? What is blessing? It involves all this kind of real physical, tangible, daily life stuff that Israel is going to experience and undertake in this land that God has given to them. But it hinges upon them being responsive to God's direction for them. God tells them what to do, and they need to do it. So one of the things that we can say about the Scripture as we see this is that God's law gives life. God's direction gives life. One of the things that I've observed in, in our culture today is that it, it appears to me that there is a general narrative that that true fullness of life is found in being able to get to the position where you call all the shots in life. Where you have financial freedom, you have the freedom to do with your body as you please, with whomever you please, to go, to travel wherever you want to, to have money at your disposal, and that's why you work, and that's why you, that's why you do what you do, is to get to this place where you can finally experience fullness of life because it comes in calling the shots, in doing what you want to do because you know what's best for you. And what happens as you come to the Word of God is you see that God challenges that because he gives us his commands and he says to us that living as someone who follows his directions involves constraint and direction. Meaning that fullness of life, if you really want to experience fullness of life, it comes from living in relationship to God, and that means that there are constraints that are upon my life, and my life is subject to his direction. That means that I am not autonomous. 
But that's a choice I have to make. That is the biggest choice any of us have to make. And that's why just ticking off the box Christian, praying a prayer, doesn't solve anything. It doesn't convert you. It does not convert you. Conversion is from one way of life to another way of life. So if you say, that's why I say what, to parents, when you say to the parents, you know, I see little Johnny, he's out just living like the devil, but I know he prayed a prayer when he was five because I helped him pray that prayer when he was by his bed. And I go like, great. I don't say that to him. I'm not that insensitive. Just when I'm in front of a bunch of people, I'm that insensitive, you know. But I'm thinking to myself, great. But Johnny's not living as someone who is responding to God's character and God's will and God's intentions. That's true conversion. God gives us his direction because his direction leads to life. It's not because he wants to constrain us, he wants to rob us of fun. It's because his way leads to life. And the question is, will we trust him? That's always the question. Will I look at culture in the face and see that everybody might be passing me and going in this direction and saying, what's wrong with you, Huseman? Why aren't you pursuing this? And I might see just a few people behind me that are kind of in my tribe going like, no, that is not the way of life. Will I choose to go against the flow? Because that's the, that's the problem. That's the challenge all the time. But I'm asking the question, am I going to trust that his ways to lead to life? That's why I asked Marcia to read Psalm 1. The psalmist, the, psalm, the psalter, the Hebrew psalter begins with this grand announcement of the two ways. There are two ways to live life. Only two. Two. That doesn't do well in a pluralist America, but two. And the one way is the way of life. And it involves delighting in the law of God. And the reason why you delight in the law of God is because you're so thankful that God has communicated the way of life to you. You're thankful for it. And so you delight in looking at his direction because you know his direction leads to life. So to follow God's commands, his will, his intentions, is a blessing itself. Because it's tied to the character and the will of God, which is about life, and it's about fruitfulness. So to say that I am blessed is to experience God's intention, God's will, God's favor becoming a reality in my life. That's how you know you're blessed. It's not because, you know, you win the lottery or your life is going well or you have fewer problems or something like that. It's be- you can say, I know I am blessed as I'm experiencing the favor of God as I pursue the intentions that God has for me. I can know that God's blessing is on my life. Does that make sense? Have you follow me on that one? So that raises the question, do you know what God is like? Do you know his character? I mean, you, I might say to you, do you know my wife's character? And the only way you could say that with any kind of uh, plausibility or believability was that you've spent time with her. That you truly have spent time with her. You've asked her questions. You've spent time. You've maybe had coffee with her. You've served with her. You've, you've done things where you've, you've seen her character come out. You've watched her in action. It's the same thing for all of us, right? So if I say to you, do you know the character of God? There's an assumption that you have spent time with God to know what he is like. You've looked at his word. You've seen how his character has been revealed in his actions throughout history. But then there's this issue of you've walked with him. 
You've depended upon him. You've trusted him. The way that you know someone's character is, is by trusting them in some kind of a situation where you go like, I'm placing my trust in you that you will keep your word, you'll do what you say, you know, you'll support, whatever it might be. The same thing is true with God. So do you know his character? And do you know his intentions, his, his will for your life? Do you know what it is that he wants you to do? So you see, I think it's important for us to inform ourselves of his, of his will. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's the Old Testament. When are you going to get the New Testament? I mean, come on, we're not Israel. Yeah, I, I understand that. So let's go ahead and fast forward to the New Testament. Go to Matthew chapter 5, if you would, please. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but I'll just take Jesus. Have you noticed how Jesus' ministry begins and ends? It begins with blessing and it ends with blessing. You ever thought about that? Matthew captures Jesus beginning his public ministry at the Sermon on the Mount. And you remember what the Sermon on the Mount is about? He says what? Many times. Blessed, 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 blessed. Here's where God's blessing is found. And what he's really saying is, here's where God's kingdom is breaking out. Here's the blessed people. It's these types of people. The poor in spirit, etc. These are the people who are blessed. So Jesus' ministry begins with blessing. And, and when you look at Luke chapter 24, around verse 50, his ministry, is, it ends with blessing. Jesus is ascending to heaven. You ever look at, so just turn over there. I bet you haven't even seen this before. Look over to Luke 24, would you? This is amazing. I, I, it's kind of amazing to picture, actually. Because, you know, it's kind of like the last verses of a gospel. It always kind of get, uh, yeah, yeah, gets that treatment. Uh, yeah. Um, but look at Luke 24, verse 50. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. There's blessing three times. So here's, can't capture this. Jesus is blessing them, and all of a sudden he starts ascending up into heaven. They're watching him ascend to heaven, and he's still blessing them. Wait, 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 I'm not done, I'm not done. You know, he's still blessing them, blessing them, blessing them as he's going up into heaven. It's an amazing picture. Even as he is departing from them, he's still tossing blessing their way. Jesus' ministry begins with blessing, it ends with blessing. You could sum up Jesus' ministry in one sentence. Jesus blessed people. Jesus blessed people. He went around and he, he gave, he put into people's lives the good favor and intention of God. He was constantly making these deposits of God's good favor and God's good intentions for people. And they were transformed by that. He blessed people. And it culminates as going to the cross. And why does he go to the cross? Well, it's tied to blessing as well. Look at Galatians chapter 3, if you would, please. That's page uh, 973. 973. We only have, what, two more texts to turn to. 973, Galatians chapter 3. Verse 13. Paul is writing, and he says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse force, meaning that the, the, we had fallen short of what God has, has asked us to do, has called us to do, and so Jesus takes the curse that has been upon us. For what is written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. Look at verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That's us. At least that's me. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. 
So the promise that was given to Abraham, we looked at back in Genesis chapter 12. He says, look up at the stars. As much as you can count the stars, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing to the nations. And Paul's now saying that blessing has been picked up from Abraham and it comes to us through Jesus. That blessing that God gave to Abraham has now been picked up by the Gentiles because of Jesus. You and I have received the promise of Abraham, the blessing of Abraham, through Jesus. I don't know if that kind of blows you away, but that kind of blows me away. Because when I ask myself, why, why, why am I a Christian? Is it simply to get rescued when I die so that I can go to some ethereal place called heaven and have a, you know, a conscious existence because I really like a conscious existence? Or is there something else at stake? And what the scripture tells us is that there's far more at stake, and that is that we are part of this his- history. We are part of this story. And it's because of Jesus that this blessing has now come to us. And so Jesus took our curse so that we might inherit that blessing, God's blessing, and live in newness of life. So my question to you is, are you living in the reality of the blessing that Jesus has secured for us? Are you simply existing? Are you living in the reality of the blessing that Jesus has secured for us? Or have you settled for just existing? The final text that I want to read or have you at least look at is Galatians, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 1. So just turn over a page, if you would please, page 976. And I want, to, I want you to listen to Paul's description. Maybe don't even look at the text. But maybe look, if you're familiar with Ephesians and Paul's writing here, maybe listen to it for the first time and just listen for blessing. Listen to how much Paul is talking about blessing now that we've talked about it. I'm going to be reading it from the New, <clears throat> excuse me, New Living Translation. And Paul says, picking up at verse, uh, chapter, one, chapter 2, verse 1, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is a spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. When he raised Christ from the dead... And he says, it is only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Do you hear the blessing? 
I'm convinced this is what caused the disciples in Acts chapter 1 from 1 on to act the way that they did. They knew what, who Jesus was and they knew what Jesus had done for them and it transformed them. They knew they were living under the blessing of God and it transformed them. They knew they were living as people who had inherited this blessing that had come from Abraham and it transformed them. And they knew that they could live into God's good intentions for them because the Spirit had been poured out as well. So you see, this is about living into life as it was meant to be experienced. It's about living into the fullness of life as it was meant to be experienced. That's basically what has been motivating me as I was, as I was praying over what it was that, that God wanted me to bring to you all. This is the thing that has been just stirring within me, is living into the fullness of life as God has given it to us. To not, to not just go through life kind of empty-handed or, or short-changed, but to, to grab the fullness of life that God wants to give to you and to me. To, to dare to believe Him, to dare to trust Him. To not just look at your circumstances, to not just look at your past, and to listen to the lies that the enemy would want to say, not you, don't listen to him, you're not what he's talking about. And I'm telling you, that's a lie. This is something that God has given to us. It's about living into God's favor that has been secured through Jesus and then being a conduit of that blessing to other people. And what's interesting in this Ephesians 2 passage is that God's favor is linked to our partnership with him in the world. It's because we've experienced God's favor that he then says we are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece. And we are then called to do good works. What do you think that is? Well, if you listen to what Paul has said about the blessing that we've received, and he says, and now you've been called to these works. What are they? Ah, Blessing. Blessing. Just as you have been blessed, so now you've been called to bless others with life. That's amazing. And what a privilege that is to think that that's what you and I have been called to do. And this is what he's offering to us. And I hope, and I'm praying, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for myself, I'm praying for us as a church, that we might be people who really believe what God has said about us and that we step into the fullness of the blessing that, and his favor that he has for us, his good intentions that are for us. Because it's only as we're, we're immersing ourselves in that foundation will we trust him to then step into the blessing that's available to others. Does that make sense? It's as I am immersed in the overwhelming favor of God that then I look at other people and I think, he wants you to have that as well. And I want you to have that as well. And that's what I want to step into next week with you is the question of how do we do that? How do we step into the practice of blessing others? What does it look like in practice? Father, I ask now that you would take um, the words that I have attempted to communicate and that what is clear and what is accurate, what is uh, fitting for who you are and what you want to do in, uh, in us as a, your community and in churches across Long Beach, that we might be known for blessing people. We might not be people who simply hoard life, but rather that we would be people who give it away in a thousand different ways, Father. I thank you for the beauty of what you're showing us.
for the, the freedom that it is, and I ask the Lord that you would stimulate some wonderful conversations to follow um, as we spend time together. In your name, amen.